0: Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for another edition of Know Your Enemy. My name is Michael Back, your deputy editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, and I'm joined with, as always, one Mr. Jeffrey Benedict. Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing good, Michael, doing good. That is excellent to hear, but as always, we have a very special guest this week. We're talking to Jerry Ball, former All-Pro defensive lineman from the Detroit Lions. Jerry, how are you doing tonight, sir?
1: I'm doing great. Great to be here, and, and glad to be here to talk a little Detroit line and and steal a football, as you <laughs> say, know your enemy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're, we're we're trying to learn a little bit more about the the teams that we'll be watching on Sunday. So speaking about this matchup too, Detroit's coming off the bye week. Is uh, is this a, a team to be feared coming off of a bye?
1: Well, you know, a bye week for any team can go one or two ways. You know, a team could get, you know, if they hurt, they can kind of get the chance to heal up and then get other guys back on the field and they can kind of hit a stride. And then some, if they were playing well, now they have to try to get back in rhythm. And sometimes it's not, you know, really that easy to get back where you stopped if you're not playing. So the bye week can go... Either way, you know, but I think because of the Lions and, you know, them being in this helter-skelter type situation, you know, they have to rally the troops in every instance for a win this week, you know. I mean, we just need one win right now.
2: Often after the bye week, you see, you know, you get to see the, the rookies step up. Some of the younger players can step into a bigger role. They're not quite as new. Is there any uh, from anyone from this draft class that you think really has an opportunity to step up and be a bigger role on this team in in the second half?
1: Well, I, I think on the Lions' defensive line, you know, you know, there's a young guy that's at the nose that you know will get a lot of opportunity to show, but get a lot of time time to grow. Now, also, you know, there are some guys like Saint Brown. Who I think is a pretty good receiver, you know, this playing experience is going to definitely serve the Lions well as they get back their main two receivers. I mean, when you look at going coming out of camp, you know, I think St. Brown might have been the number three or number four receiver. Now he's having to be the number two. You know, so I think that the more he plays, you know, gets better. I think Swift, as a running back, you know, gives this team, you know, a lot of energy. It's a different offense. So I I, I do think that if he can keep that same pace, he should do better in the second half of the year. Now, with the offensive line, man, you just don't know right now. You know, you got some guys that might come back and then you got the rookie who's starting, and he's doing all right. But for the most part, I would say if the youngsters on the offensive line can step up, it'll definitely help out the quarterback.
0: And speaking of that offense, today I know uh, Detroit uh, picked up uh, Josh uh, Reynolds off of waivers uh, from the Tennessee Titans. Should we expect uh, that receiver to get into the lineup at all here, especially on such a short week, or is that uh, someone the Steelers shouldn't have to worry about? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, these are pros, you know, and and when, you know, you're in the season, you're not being brought in to be coached into a position. You're you're being signed to come in and perform. And if the team needs him to come out and play this week, he'll be in that uniform. They need him to catch punts or do something in some capacity They'll find a way to get him on the field, but no team is making moves at this point unless they feel like that person can make a contribution.
2: You, you mentioned the quarterback uh, going from Matthew Stafford, who was there, you know, was kind of the face of the Lions there for quite a while, into Jared Goff. What's that transition been like? And like, how has that work on a team when someone that that has been that much of a staple for the team? Uh, to be gone and, and replaced that quickly?
1: Well, I I tell you, you know, it, it, it it's, it's hard for Jared, for sure. Whether or not he wants to admit it, it is. Because Matt Stafford isn't a slouch, first of all. Even though the Lions didn't fare well when you look at his record, when you actually look at what he had to work with, The numbers and the stats he did put up with what he had to work with. And I ain't talking about when the Calvin Johnson and him had that stride. I'm talking about as a whole offense. Everybody in the stadium knew Calvin was out there, but it's still, you got to get the ball to him. All right. And that guy can make throws that a lot of quarterbacks cannot. I mean, a lot of pro quarterbacks can't make some of the throws Matthew Stafford can make. So it's hard. Now, Because the team is in that transition where you got new coach, new offense, new quarterback, and stuff, you can kind of give a little bit. But for the most part, because this is a pro sport, everyone is expected to go out there and perform at the highest level. And I would say that when people are expecting him to come out and perform like Matt would, that, that would be expecting a lot right now. He doesn't have the weapons. Their, their offense, you know, again, you are talking about personnel and scheme, you know, Campbell inherited a team that's not necessarily the personnel that he might have had for the scheme of offense or defense. He might want to run. So there is some growing pains in there that the lines are going through. But I tell you, you know, and I'm not, you know, wishing anything on the Steelers, but you guys are going to eventually get to it when Ben steps away. It'll
0: be one of those pains y'all have to go through. Yeah, and and those days are rapidly approaching here. But staying with the quarterback position and Jared Goff himself, do do you believe he is going to be someone that will get more time to kind of grow with this offense and this young team, this young coaching staff? Or could they already be looking to go in another direction moving forward?
1: Honestly, I, I think, you know, Jared was a part of a deal. And that's what it is. I don't think that if they were to actually go on the board and say, hey, this is our prototype quarterback that we're looking for, that Jared Goff is going to be that. All right. I do believe that he's a good placeholder, but I believe that they're going to be looking for that quarterback. They have to. You know, have to because you know if, if a team isn't doing well under one you, you should be evaluating at all levels.
2: Yeah. Uh the leading receiver on the Lions right now is TJ Hawkinson. Uh what has he brought to the team? And is he is this just a situation where he's the best guy out there right now or is, is he really <laughs> The kind of player who who can lead a team and be one of the main offensive weapons.
1: Hey, you know, I, I have that same question sometimes <laughs> now. I, but what I do, I can tell you, is that if they wanted to do a hair commercial, he got some pretty hair under the helmet, you know. <laughs> but he walks around in, in where he has a presence on the field, and I think that the offense has started to kind of look to him as being one of their key assets. Now, he, he makes a lot of plays, but again, to put it all together is how he's going to have to play in a complementary role. Right now, he's like leading receiver. That's not going to – the Lions can't win with him being the leading receiver. He can be a contributing receiver, but not leading you know, and because of that, I think like right now he's carrying a lot more weight than if they would have had those number one and number two receivers that got hurt early on. So is he good? Yeah, he's a good player. Can he carry the load? I think in his role, but not in the role where um, he he should be the number three or number four option because you got your running back you got the number one receiver and if he's the third option that would be a tight end or if you got two receivers then he would be the fourth option but right now being the fourth that means now the offense has to scheme for him which makes the defense be able to scheme for him too when he's the focus so if you eliminate him right there And one of the things that, you know, we've seen with Jared is that he got happy feet and then he has to go through his progressions. And to get to the tight end, normally the tight end is the third progression of choice. Outside, slot guy, tight end in the scene. So in that aspect, it's not really designed for him to be the marquee, but he is. He is a marquee player
0: for him. So to step things back here, and uh, I, I want to just ask you about uh, the running back tandem of Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. How, how, I know there's been some injuries, but how, how have those guys worked kind of uh, cohesively uh, as a, a backfield uh, two-headed monster, I guess, in that backfield?
1: You know, I, I think that they work well together, and I think the, the, the best compliment that they have for the offense is that they're two different styles of runners. You know, and when Swift is in the game, uh, the dimension of what he can do as a running back change because of the simple fact that he's a great route runner and he plays well in space. And after he catches the ball, he makes a lot of defenders miss. So because of that, I prefer Swift as being my number one back and Williams being my change of pace, you know whereas I'm going to get you out on the perimeter with Swift and make you have to loosen up, and then I come back and hit you inside them tackles with Williams, some counters, some dives, and things like that. They come back and put it back on the perimeter with Swift, and then I'm handed. So, so that's how I would play them. But again, I think that they complement the offense because they two different changes of pace, you know, and the defense, you know, a defense, you know, plays in rhythm too. You know, when you got a fast back, you know, you play fast. When you got a back that's patient like a Le- uh, Bell, the guy LaVon Le- 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 Bell was with, with you guys, you know, that guy there, hell, he could be sitting back there on a lead and he will be counting one, two, three, and then he'll hit the ball. And you're like, damn, he has a lot of patience. A lot of running backs don't have that type of patience because they don't want to get hit you know, and when you sitting in the hole and you squatting, cause that's what you're doing, you know, that's a different way that you got to approach that back too, because he's going to have more balance than the one that's just hitting it straight on.
2: Beyond oh, the running back that. on the tight ends. Yeah. Uh, we, we've we had the last couple of weeks, we've seen both the Browns and the bears attack our nickel and dime backs and have some success there. Uh, when Detroit looks to go a little more receiver heavier or, or, or spread them out, who, who's their who's their main guys in the slot? Who's their who's their guys we got to keep an eye on?
1: Um, honestly, I think Swift is the guy. You know because the way that they move him out, he'll be in the position of the slot when they move him out of the motion of the backfield. They move him into that end position. Or where that slot receiver would go. So I think he's going to be one of the key guys And number 11. I forget his name. uh, Van Man. I apologize.
2: Khalif. Is that Khalif Raymond? Khalif.
1: Yeah. Him. That gentleman there. He's a player. He's a player. Yeah. And and I tell you, they're probably going to have to keep their eye on him all day. Because he'll hit you at any point of the game. And his engine stays going, too. You know, he's not one of those guys, you know, sometimes a guy that might be on the sideline come in the game and he's got to kind of get in the flow. This guy's one of those guys come off the sideline and he full speed like he's been running, ready to go. Uh,
0: To move up to the O-line now, um, I know this week it looks like Taylor Decker is going to be available for the Lions again, but Penny Sewell has been playing that left tackle spot a little bit for them. Uh, How is that line going to kind of shift around here now with uh, Decker's availability? And what would you say is the best kind of uh, setup for those tackles?
1: Well, you know that. You know, I, I think you know it's a good and it's a and a bad situation because you know with Taylor coming back, you know, you get some leaders. That's one. On the, and the other good thing is that they know that they have two solid left tackles. Now, when you're preparing for the future, do you let the youngster stay in the position and ride it out and have Taylor go to the right side and, you know, kind of take the pressure off of him since he is coming off an injury and he might have some trade value. You know, and I'm not, you know, I know the trade deadline and all that, but I'm just talking about in the future, you know. So, so in that aspect, by him showing that he could play left and right tackle, it makes him more valuable. So that works in the Lions' favor. Now, at this point in the season, I think that they need him on the field so that the stability can kind of start building a foundation that eventually the younger guy like Pena can take over because he can see how a veteran operates in the huddle. And, and you see, and then a lot of times it's not so much that they don't see other veterans, it's that you respect what that veteran is doing and the way that he approaches the game that you attract yourself to. And I think he can be a great example, a better example on the field for for the rest of the line.
2: All right, the Detroit's current right tackle, I believe Matt Nelson. Um, he has played. I believe he hasn't missed a snap yet. Uh, would you rather like is is this a situation where you're looking across the field and you're seeing T.J. Watt going up against your right tackle? Do you want to go with the consistent performer, or are you are you going to take the gamble and say let's let's put the guy who's you know more talented? We know. Is more talented out there, and see see if he can deal with TJ Watt.
1: Man, I, I'm 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 putting my best my best foot forward. All right, and that's nothing against the other gentleman, but if if Taylor is ready to go, he's on the field. What am I? But I'm gonna put him on the left tackle, and then me Pena over there I'll put on on the bench. You know. I think the better is to move Taylor to right tackle, let him stay at left. And then that way they got good protection on both sides. Because one of the things that you see when Jared has, you know, is that shadow pressure. And shadow pressure is whereas, you know, he sees the flash of shadow but it's not really enough pressure to make it move because of Tom Brady and Ben, they stand in that, in the pocket on that. Whereas he feels the shadow of the end rusher and that tackle, and he just started moving. And that don't let his – and that, that actually contributes to why his feet don't set and his passes are not as efficient as one would think. But because you would have two good anchors on both ends – Man, I, I would have to have Decker on on the field. He'll be a right tackle, though, because I wouldn't want to change the rhythm of the left tackle with the youngster. C-
0: can you tell me how the offensive line changed a bit after Frank Ragnall's injury? I, I believe he's done for the year at this point. He's one of the best centers in football, if not the best. That, um, What happened when he went down?
1: Well, that that's like losing a second general, you know? After the quarterback, the center is the one that's actually making the adjustment calls, that's pointing out the blitzes, that's going to actually come up to the line and get offensive line whatever, you know, their checks are before the quarterback starts the cadence. So with that center being who he was and the level that he played, that's a hole there that, you know, because they're better off with him than without it. You know, without him being there, that, that's what they call. And this contributed to some of their lack of, I guess you would say, success.
2: Flipping over to the other side of the ball, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been running with a very young offensive line. And across the board, new faces, just, you know, all but one of our guys are, are brand new to the team. Uh, where are the Lions on defensive line, you uh, can they take advantage of the Steelers offensive line? Which has been good at times, but also a little inconsistent.
1: Yes, and, and you know, your left tackle number sixty-five, the rookie from AM, he's from my hometown. Oh, yeah. So oh, I yeah. know some of his people, right? And and I do know that he's had a little struggle here and there. But again, he's a rookie. Mm-hmm. He's gonna he's gonna learn that. But at the same time, I think the Lions, you know, their defensive line is actually still trying to find their identity. And what I mean by that, you know, you, you take like when uh, you talk, I'll talk about some of the Steelers defenses when you had you know, Porter, Lloyd, you know, uh, Green. When them guys were on the field, you understood, you know, who they were, how they were going to play, and you was going to, you know, and I think that the Lions are trying to, they're at a point where they're trying to find how to play well together, you know. And you have a lot of youth that's getting opportunities, and they need that Lord or Porter or Kevin Green that would be out there to kind of lead them in that way, you know, but they're not, they're a little young. Now there is one, one guy that, you know, Trey Flowers that brings, you know, some leadership, you know, but at the same time, I know, I don't know where his head is because at one time before the trade deadline, they were talking about possibly trading. And when you a player and you're in the locker room, you hear your name, Associated with a trade is hard to lock in, you know.
0: Oh, absolutely. Now, a couple of what Beaumont, Texas boys between you and uh, Dan Moore Jr. there. um uh, mm-hmm. Speaking about you, Jerry, 1991 version of you, uh, how would you fit on this uh, defensive front for uh the current Detroit Lions?
1: Oh, man, we'll be tough in the middle, that's for sure.
0: <laughs>
1: and you ain't got to worry about them running up the middle. I promise you. That I promise.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I, I guarantee that, too. Get away from this weekend's game. And, of course, talking to an all-pro football player, do uh, you, you have any uh, good stories of facing the Steelers back in your day or uh, anything you can share with the people?
1: Oh, man, let me tell you, I got a lot of Steelers stories. First, Jerome Bettison and I are real good friends. When Jerome was making the decisions to come out of Notre Dame early and stuff, he and his parents came to spend a weekend at my home. And then he got drafted by the Steelers. But Kevin Colbert is a good friend. Uh, Kevin was part of the personnel group in Detroit that drafted me. All right. And then he also hired a couple of guys like uh, that played with the Lions, like Bruce McNarton, who's still a Steelers scout. I actually called Kevin and asked him if he would hire me to be a Steelers scout. He said, Jerry, I'm not going to do that to you. I was like, "What you mean?" He said, "Man, I'm not about to see you on you know, some planes and up the road and stuff, and have you out in somewhere." He said, "We nah, 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 something else." I was like, "All right, cool." So that was one. <laughs> but but I, I tell you, I remember when I was with the Browns, and I'm gonna tell you one of the things that, of course, you know, the Browns and the Steelers. Yeah, yeah I don't have to even tell you no, about that, right? <laughs> you know. So. Um, This is we played the Steelers the last game of the season of '92. And uh, the the Browns was trying to re sign me, but but Bill Belichick was killing me in the paper, so I'm like, I don't look, man, you ain't you offering me money, but then you over here killing me in the paper. That you know, that's contradiction. And, And probably one of the things that was probably the biggest thing that really upset me is that. They wanted me to go to a fat farm, all right? But they didn't talk to me. They talked to Michael Dean Perry, and Michael Dean Perry is telling me about my career. And I'm like, oh, shit, no. I don't trust anything like that. So the last game of the season, we're playing the Steelers, and we actually ride the bus from Cleveland to Pittsburgh. They drove, and it was snowing. I didn't get on the bus. I drove my Land Cruiser behind the bus, and I pulled into the Steelers, uh, into the stadium, and right after that, you know, they got back on the bus and went to Cleveland, and I spent the night there in Pittsburgh, and they was like, you a brown ball, you staying here in Pittsburgh? I say, well, I'm not a brown anymore. I'm going to be more a Steelers, than I am going to be brown tomorrow. <laughs> so I spent one of my last days as a brown in Pittsburgh. After there you a game.
0: go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're going to be quick fans of uh, all the Steelers uh, fans. Oh, man,
1: to... <laughs> listen, hey, man, I got, you know, down here in Texas, y'all got a lot of Steelers fans. They got, in Texas, they have Steeler bars. I mean, bars that are actually dedicated to the Steelers, nobody else. And I'm like, man, you guys know where you at. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Now, you actually, if I'm right, you actually came back and played a few games uh, for Cleveland after they returned.
1: Yeah, well, in 99, I I actually was signed as a free agent. I retired from the Raiders, and then I came out of retirement and played with the Vikings. So after that second year with the Vikings, I guess the, the, the Browns, this was 99, it was the Browns' expansion year. So they signed me as a free agent. And this is like 99, and, and by the third, fourth game, you know, I was traded back to uh, the Vikings and finished my career there. So okay. even though it was in 99, it was only for about three, four games of
0: that, that year. Gotcha. Now, you had 32 and a half sacks in your career, too. Is there, is there one that's uh, most memorable? Well, I don't know.
1: Did I get Bernie on No, I don't know if Bernie's in that in that count. Um, listen, being a nose guard, getting doubled and tripled sometimes. That's,
0: that's really I, impressive. <laughs> look,
1: one uh, any sack is great for us. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: feel yeah. that. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I I gotta say, I was uh, I'm a Michigan guy. I was born in Michigan. Ended up moving to Ohio, and in uh, the 1991 season, I was living in Ohio. I was a University of Michigan fan, and I was a Detroit Lions fan, and that was one of my favorite seasons yep, I've ever a seen game. of football. It was a great year, beating the yep. Cowboys in the playoffs twice, a lot of times <laughs> twice
1: that year. We beat them in the regular season, and we beat them in the playoffs.
2: Yep, that was a fantastic season. So I got I. I think it's yeah. awesome seeing you here talking to you because it's that was that's one of my hey, great memories. <laughs> hey, well, I
1: definitely appreciate you guys having me, and again, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers. I have to tell you, tell the honest truth though. As a kid, I was a Raider fan. uh Oh, <laughs> so, so, you know, I didn't like y'all. I didn't like no. I, I didn't like Mean Joe Green. I didn't like Holmes. I didn't like none of that young blood, none of that. We, we, I hate the steel curtain. Ham, yeah, I was like, nah, you know, I was a raider through and through, you know. And then that, when that catch happened with Franco Harris, man, I, I was sick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. Hey, well, at least uh, you still got the opportunity to uh to play for your favorite team. That's uh, that's something pretty special right there. Yeah, you know what?
1: And and to be honest with you, it was one of the greatest thrills because being a true football fan, not just being able to play football, but when you are a fan and you get to play for the team that you root for, man, the only thing better is winning the championship. You know, other than that, it's like, man, I'm where, I, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I was born a Raider. That's what I.
2: <laughs> a dream coming Speaking, speaking of your time with the Raiders, if I jump in right here. Uh, the Steelers, we just saw Cam Hayward get the second interception of his career in the last game as a nose tackle. When getting an interception is kind of a rare deal, but you had a very specific—you had a—you had not just an interception, yeah—you had an interception return for a touchdown, yeah. What was what was that like as a as a nose tackle?
1: Well, uh, like Chris Berman said on ESPN. Look at the big ball rolling, ball rolling, tumbling, tumbling, rolling, tumbling, tumbling. You know how it used to go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, it, it was what happened on the play. It was linebacker came in, hit Brunell. The ball popped straight up in the air, and I see it, so I go up and get it, and I, I leap as high as the Empire State Building, and I grab it at the pinnacle height of the tip of the building, you know, wasn't nothing up there. I was hiding the pigeons. And I jumped so high. <laughs> but anyway, I catch it and I come down and it wasn't nothing but an open lane straight to the end zone. So Pat's wheeling and everybody's like, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to give you this ball. I'm running this with it. So after I ran it in, it was for 66 yards, so I run it in. I, I'm running across the end zone with the ball like this here, and I start pulling. I'm like, where's the oxygen?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an amazing oh, story. J- Jerry, we got one more question here for you. And we'll give it to, to Wes Hecock. He He puts $5 in the tip jar. And he asked about this Sunday's uh, coaching staff, the, uh, the head-to-head matchup between Dan Campbell and Mike Tallman. H- how do you feel those two coaching staffs uh, match up against one another? Now,
1: Wes, you're putting me on <laughs> the spot because it, it's going to make it seem like I'm more Pittsburgh Steeler fan than I am Detroit Lions. All right, Wes, but I'm going to answer your question. One, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers coach, head coach, first class. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I would love to play for him. Other coaches that I know that have been on that staff, John Mitchell, that has played, you know, and coached quality people. Mm -hmm. The way that the Roonies, you know, have assembled the people that they bring into the Steelers family class act I think Campbell is a good coach I think you know he's a little bit more like Matt Millen or Sergeant Carter I don't know if you guys remember Goomer Paul and Sergeant <laughs> Carter are y'all too young to written yeah, I, my I, age. I even know I even know Goomer Paul. <laughs> Am I telling my age? Okay, well, <laughs> well, look here, Wes, I want you to – well, we're going to tell Wes what to go look for. Wes, we want you to go look for Goomer Paul and Sergeant Carter. Dan Campbell is more like Sergeant Carter to me, all right? And I think, you know, when you have a raw, raw type coach, he has to really be careful – that he doesn't come off WWE-like because eventually the words that he's saying because you put so much theater in it, like Ric Flair, and then you give the crying and the emotions, and now you're playing all these here, but we, ain't, we haven't won a game, okay? then that start looking like, okay, now the players are like, okay, who are we with all these emotions? Because right now, as a coach, okay, he speaks for that team. And I'm not just talking about, hey, I'm the head coach, but I'm talking about the player's character, their emotion. You see whatever he's displaying is what the team is displaying. All right? And that's, it's kind of hard to be under that umbrella. You know, imagine having a guy like Ray Lewis on the team and you got a guy with all this emotion and, and his energy and stuff. And then you got a coach that has that same type of, man, they might knock each other out before the game because everybody's so raw, raw, somebody got to be calm in and, and the way that you're the Steelers coach. He's poised. You never – when things are upsetting, you might see him upsetting, but you don't see him emotional. When you're in the heat of the battle and you have to look at all of the midstream adjustments, and then you have to also make these calculated decisions, what ifs, what's the situation, how my defense – plan. You know, do we go forward on forward and do it all that? Because Coach Campbell, he's been going for it on fourth all the time, but he hadn't been having success. So it becomes one of those things. Now you're not having positive reinforcement because emotionally you're trying to get this fourth and one, but when you're failing and it's not good coaching sound decisions, then you start looking like WWE. So he got to be careful. I mean, just think about it. Go back and look at the interviews, right? And then you tell me kind of through the eight weeks if you don't see it all over. You know, Belichick go up there, win or lose. He's still that same Belichick. <laughs> you know, you might he might tell a dry joke here and now, but he's gonna be emotionally still in this contained aspect. And players see that stability, and that's what they need to see in the coach because that's who you – if the bombs are going off and the general is ducking his head, what do you think the troops going to do? <laughs> yep. Probably duck a whole lot lower. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Where they going to take the sign that he ducked, so I better duck, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no kidding. Uh, Jerry Ball, thank you so much for your time this evening. It was a pleasure speaking with you. As well, guys, I appreciate you. And, hey, we
1: just have to let you guys know um, we do intend on winning the game. (laughs) Just so that you guys know we're coming with every intention. Mm -hmm. All right. So you guys be nice to us. You know, (laughs) don't have us hanging over the Allegheny River. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, before we let you go, Jerry, the Steelers have this thing for letting teams that are supposed to win when they're heavy favorites, they have this thing where they lose to the, the, the games are supposed to win. So I'm a little more nervous that the Lions are going to come to Heinz Field and, and pick up their first win of the season in, uh, in a pretty uh, big fashion.
1: Well, let me say this, and I'm going to close it like this. You know, last week, we, the Philadelphia Eagles was a team that we felt was struggling like we were struggling. And they came in here and knocked our <laughs> head off. Okay. So in the game of football, it really doesn't matter what that record is. Everybody's pros and a team, a pro team can come in and beat anybody. So that's why you got to play the game, coach. Got to play the game.
0: <laughs> exactly. Jerry, thank you so much. Hey, thank you guys. Y'all have a good year and appreciate it. Uh, you as well. Thank you me. as well. Thanks again. All right. Bye-bye. See you, Jerry. Bye. Ah, So, ladies and gentlemen, if you are watching on YouTube and Facebook, don't go anywhere. We're going to flip over to part two. Uh, if you're listening on your podcast platform, just go ahead and click over to that second part right now.